You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Life in Christ, we walk through 1 John, written to the church for our joy, our holiness, and our assurance. Today we're going to continue in our uh, walk through 1 John. So we're going to be looking at verses 28, uh, chapter 2, verses 28 through 3-3. So if you have your Bibles, um, go ahead and turn to that. And we'll be looking at uh, those passages today. So a Presbyterian evangelist in the late 19th century named John Wilbur Chapman penned the words to a song titled, One Day. Now, probably every one of us sitting here today know that song, but we know it under a different title sung by different people, and we know it by the band performing it named Casting Crowns, and the song that they sing it under is called Glorious Day. And what it does, it tells us the wonderful drama of redemption, where uh, verse 5 brings the story to its climactic conclusion with these words concerning King Jesus. One day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies with his glory will shine. Wonderful day, my beloved one's bringing. Glorious Savior, this Jesus is mine. Then the the refrain goes like this. Living he loved me, dying he saved me. Buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day. Pen clear back in the 19th century, and we kind of sing it differently today, I'm sure, as, as they sang it back then. That glorious day is coming, brother and sister, and John sees it as an awesome hope for us, for those that are in Christ that are his children. That awesome hope for the future and a powerful motivation for the present. That's what hope does. Hope gives us motivation for our present life today. That is the the purpose of hope, and that is the the utility of hope, that that we actually, it gives us motivation for living out today, living out the mundane things, living out the suffering that we have been talking about through the different passages. It is this hope that one day we will see him for who he is, and one day that we will be changed into who we truly should be, because we have been stained by sin. Yes, we've been redeemed and, and, and God has saved us, but we are not like Adam and Eve was before sin in the garden. We are nothing like that. And because of that, and because we are in a world surrounded by people like that, we do suffer and we do struggle on a daily basis. But one day, right, the trumpet will sound and one day we will see him as he truly is. And one day we will be changed into what we truly should be. Because I am going to be like him in the future and for all eternity, such a promise has a wonderful transforming power in the present. My future impacts my life today. Right? Every one of us know this. Every one of us actually has small portions of this each and every day that we get up. Because some days we get up and we know that we have a long day and we, we dread that day. So our hope for that day is, can I just get through it? But some days we, we get up and, and we know that there's all kinds of cool things that, that I really enjoy doing. And, and our hope and, and our joy is just a little bit different. So why is hope so important? 
How does my future impact my life today? In our future is not secured and satisfied by God, then we are going to be excessively anxious, right? If, if you don't know, if you don't trust, if you don't believe that five minutes from now, 10 minutes from now, 10 days from now, 10 years from now, that your security, your life has, is in God's hands, then we're going to be excessively anxious in this world today. Are we trusting in him for that? Are we trusting in him for the very breath that we have, the very strength that we have to get us here to this point today and for 30 seconds from now or, or two minutes from now? Do we see him, his intricacy in our lives that way? Right? Oftentimes, it, one of the things I've been trying to do with, within our community group is, is I ask folks, the first thing we ask is, how has God answered prayer for us today, this past week? I mean, are we struggling with that? I, I don't know. Sometimes it seems like in my group we struggle with it. Sometimes there's, there's people that are seeing, hey, wait a minute. He got me through today. That's the answer to prayer. That's God working. That's you seeing who God is and what he has done. That's, that's a wonderful thing. We need to celebrate that. And, and that's the purpose of that question is so we can continue and see and celebrate all that God is doing in and amongst us. Because he's always moving. He's always doing something. It's just whether or not we're paying attention to him. Are we paying attention to see all that he does? So if we're not trusting in him for our future, if we're not trusting in and being secured and satisfied by God, then we're going to be excessively anxious. This results either in paralyzing fear or a self-managed greedy control. In other words, what this is saying is it's either you're either just going to live in this fear where you don't do anything, and then here comes depression, right? Here comes these things where we're, we're just we're just ravaged by this and we sit and we're worried and we're worried and we're worried, so we don't move, we don't do anything. Or we do the opposite of that and we grab everything, you know, with our hands and take control of everything and that's how we live. We got to control everything. We have to, we have to live that way. We will do it on our own. And then we forget about God and we forget about praying and we, we figure, forget about leaning on our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? That's the purpose of hope. It's for our life today so that we have the good balance that we need to live each and every day. We end up thinking about ourselves, our future, our problems, and our potential. And what that does, and, and John's already alluded to this, is what it does is it prevents us from loving one another. It prevents us from loving our spouses, our children well. It prevents us from loving our neighbor, our family, and it prevents us from loving God well, because we're always worried about what's coming next. Well, God has that. He's already there. He has it. And, and just because that, that we believe he's sovereign and, and that, that he's in control of everything doesn't mean that he's going to do everything that you want him to do. And it doesn't mean that we can understand all the things that he does, because he's God and we're not. And one day you got to figure that out for your own. There's no amount of preaching that's ever going to bring you to that point. It's going, you're going to figure that out probably at one of your lowest points in life to figure out, okay, I am not God and you are. Pretty sure Jesus called this being poor in spirit, knowing that I'm just a beggar before God. And that's who we are. That's who we are. Just beggars before God. 
a good and gracious and loving God. In other words, hope is the birthplace of Christian self-sacrificing love. In other words, if we're going to live the Christian life, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, which are people that follow Jesus Christ, right? He lived his life for us. He lived his life for another. So that means that we need to figure out, okay, how do we get up every single day looking at it in a way that I'm going to serve others? We think it's flipped around in our heads as part of the fall, part of the culture, just part of our flesh, part of everything, that we need to get up every single day and figure out, okay, how do I make myself happy? You'll never get there. The only way to make yourself happy is to live a life thinking of others. That's what the Bible says. It says how we're designed. That's what the Spirit is pulling us towards, and that's what the Word of God shows us. It's about about loving others. It's about living a life of others. Our mindset is one that allows God to take care of us instead of mindset of self-sufficiency. We say, Lord, I just want to be there for other people tomorrow because you're going to be there for me. That's the motivation. Lord, I just want to be there for other people tomorrow because you're going to be there for me. What would it look like if the church lived like that? What if it looked like that all the churches that are, that are gathered right now, today, they're, they're not coming in to hear, okay, what can I get out of this so then I can leave? What if it is, if everyone's gathering together to say, okay, how can I help one another? How can I love my brother and sister that's going to be at my church today? In Hebrews, and, and he's just been beating on me about this passage. In Hebrews, right, many of you probably either heard this or said this, right? Whenever you, you stumble upon somebody that, that doesn't really go to church and they don't think it's a big deal, and what do we do? We run to, to Hebrews 10 and we say, oh, don't forsake the gathering of the saints, right? So we think that the opposite of forsaking the gathering of the saints is begrudgingly coming in the front door and sitting down and saying, I'm here. That's not what the passage says. What the passage says is, is you are to come and encourage one another. That's what the next words say in that passage. It's not begrudgingly come through the door and sit down and say, I'm here. It's to come through the door and encourage one another. And whenever you expand that word, that encouragement means spur one another on. So let me just ask you. You guys have been here for 45 minutes. Has anybody spurred another person on in the 45 minutes you've been here? That's what the church is designed to do. It's not to come in and sit down and, and someone tell you good things to feel about yourself and, and to make the whole sermon about yourself and then you go and leave and, and be all about you. No, it, it's to come to see who Jesus is, what all he has done, so then for it changes our hearts so that we can go love one another. That's the church, the church of the Bible at least, not the church that we've actually made here in America it seems like. We say, Lord, I just want to be there for other people tomorrow. If we don't have the hope that Christ is for us, then we will be engaged in self-preservation and self-enhancement. Our minds are preoccupied for things of this world, which John has already worried us about, warned us about, right? Do not love the world. And we have a whole book in the Bible, right, that gives us truth about all the efforts. God was so gracious to us that he's, he's even here today, 
right? In, in 2022, he's even here. He wrote a whole book in the Bible to say, you know what? What you're chasing after in this world, it, it's Hubble. It's like the breath of air when you got up this morning and it was cold and, and you breathed it out and it was here and it was gone. That's exactly what the whole book of Ecclesiastes is about. In 114, he says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. It's just striving after the wind. What are you striving for today? What did you strive for this past week? Is it gone? Is it still lasting? Did you invest in, in the kingdom, so therefore it's there for eternity? This leaves us frustrated. But hope believes we will be taken care of by God for the future. See, if we're just striving after the things of this world, then we're just going to be frustrated. But we have a hope. Whether five minutes or five centuries from now, God will be there. He'll be taking care of us. And it frees us up to love others. Then God's glory will shine more clearly because that's how he becomes visible. The love we show one for another. So in our passage today, God, God's word tells us we are destined to look what we are destined to look like, think like, talk like, act like, and be like Jesus. That's the climax of the thing. One day we will be like Jesus. We're not there yet. We stumble, we fall, we have to deal with the things of this world, our suffering, our bodies breaking down, evil coming up against us. But he's working in us each day to move us from one glory to the next. But one day, we will be like him. That's the, 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 the great promise that, he, that these verses bring to us. This is the hope that John is calling us to believe, that God's plan is for each one of us to be like Jesus one day. In the meantime, he calls us to abide in him. Abide in him. Be with him. And they go together. Our future hope is the motivation for our present life. Our future hope is, our or is the motivation for our present life. The life that John is calling us to live is a life of righteousness. Here we arrive again at the already not yet tension of salvation. Yes, we have been saved. We are being saved. And one day we'll be fully saved. We will be like him. We are called to live striving towards a living a righteous life before God because we are not yet fully like Jesus. The fuel, the motivation for the striving, right? It's, remember in Philippians, Paul says it's that I work hard, but it's not me, but God working underneath me, right? Through me, through the Holy Spirit, through the Word. So the fuel, the motivation for striving is the future hope that one day we will be perfect like Jesus. And also the truth that each one of us today in the eyes of God is righteous because He is our advocate. Remember, as John talked about and reminding us, oh, by the way, um, you have an advocate in heaven right now. So whenever you do stumble, he already told us, what do we do? We go and we confess our sins. And we don't worry about it. We don't run into guilt. We don't put ourselves on probation, right? We know that we have an advocate before heaven, in, in heaven, and he's, he's consistently reminding God of all that he has done. So we have an advocate. John, again, is drawing the line in the sand. He's going to show us those who are true believers and those who are not. True believers will abide in the fellowship with Christ and experience the blessings that come through communion with him. What are these blessings? 
First, you will be confident at his coming. The second thing we will see is you will be certain you are his child. And the third thing is you will be conformed to Christ. Those are the blessings that we're hoping in. These are the promises that he has giving us. These blessings among many others are the fuel that motivates our present life. A life of abiding in Jesus. A life of practicing righteousness. Now just just a word about the, the structure before I read this passage. Just a, a word about the structure here. It seems like whenever we get to this, this part of the of first John, that he begins a thought in the first two verses, right? In 29, 28 and 29, it's like, okay, I'm gonna begin this thought. And then he pauses. And he's like, let me remind them who they are again, kind of like he did back at the beginning of, of chapter two. And, and then afterwards, which we're going to get into next week, he's going to continue this thought about living a righteous life. So that, that's just kind of like the struggle, I mean, the, the structure of, of how this passage is, is played out here. So 1 John 2.28 begins this way, And now, little children, abide in me, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practiced righteousness has been born of him. There's the line in the sand. So do you see where, where he, he, and now little children abide in him. There's the command, abide in him, right? So that when he appears, why should you abide in him? So that, that's the reason for that. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practiced righteousness has been born of him. This practices. Practicing righteousness is abiding in him. So it's kind of like John's thinking, okay, I just laid out the line in the sand. If you do not practice righteousness, if you are not on the path of sanctification, it's showing you that you are not born again. And then he says, oh, wait a minute. Let me remind them of something. Let me give them fuel. Let me give them the hope that they need to continue to, to walk in righteousness. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. This is verse 1. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. Not that so much that you're called, but you are a child of God. You have been adopted. You are his. That is wonderful hope. That is something to celebrate. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So what is this first blessing? The first blessing is if we abide in Christ, we experience the blessing of being confident at his coming. Right? That's verse 28. We will be confident at his coming, right? So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So abide in him. So what exactly does that mean to, to abide in him? In a nutshell, abiding in Christ means allowing his word to fill our minds, direct our wills, and transform our affections. Right? It fills our minds, it directs our wills, and transforms forms our affections. In other words, our relationship to Christ is intimately connected to what we do with our Bible. It's our interaction with him. He's, 
He's been revealed in the Word of God. So if you want to be with Christ, if you want to be with God, if you want to see who He is, we open up the Word of God and we read. Or we listen. Thankfully, He's given us all kinds of ways that we can you know, bring in the, the Word of God into inside ourselves. John is pointing us to the return of Christ here, right? When he appears, and now little children abide him, so that when he appears, John's point is Christ is coming again. He will appear on this earth again officially and in full public display as a king of kings and a lord of lords. One day he's, he's coming. One day um, he will come again and, and set all things right. We don't know that day. Jesus doesn't even know that day. No one can predict that day. So when he appears, will you have boldness or will you be ashamed before him? Will you run toward him as a child runs to a loving father? Or will you draw back and attempt to hide from his glorious coming? And you say, well, I don't know about that. Well, yeah, you do know. Because what do you do when you sin today? Do you run to him? Because he's taken my sin, because he's my advocate? Do you run towards him, or do you hide in our shames? Yes, I, I know that we can't completely get rid of the shame and guilt, but it really shows us what's going to happen on this day. Is the Spirit dwelling in you? Are you born again, or are we consistently just so numb from our sin because we've never gone before the Father to repent? It's, it's, a, it's a tough question. And I know John's, John's trying to give us hope here, but he's just trying to make sure that we are seeing what exactly he is saying about his children and who they are. John remembers his time with Jesus, right? This is not something that John came up with on his own. He's remembered what Jesus said. Jesus said in Mark 8, 38, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. John's remembering Jesus' teaching. He wants you to have the confidence of a child jumping into the arms of a loving daddy. He doesn't want you running to a closet or a cave, hiding in shame like those that we'll read, we read about in Revelation. Those that will be hiding, right? In Revelation 6, then the, king of, uh, the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. That's what's coming for all those who are not in Christ, who are not born again. But we can have the confidence. We can have the hope because we are in him. We, we are his children. You can see why John starts here. This is not a confidence of arrogance. Look how awesome I am. This is a confidence of humility. Look how awesome he is. If you are abiding in Christ today, if if we are allowing the word to fill our minds, direct our souls, and transform our affections, this humility will come out. It's about him. It's not about me. 
When he comes, we will not have shame because we believe and live with confidence in the second blessing. And the second blessing, he says, is we will be certain that you are his child. You will know that, that you are his child. You have been practicing righteousness. You have been you can look back at your life. Yeah, we never grow and, and get rid of sin on the pace that we want, but at least we can look back and a week ago or a month ago or a year ago and say, hey, I'm a little bit better than I was as far as following his commands and living a life of holiness. And, and I, I would say that just the way John forms this whole letter and, and, and all the things that Jesus said is, okay, how well do I love? That's that seems to be the, the marker. That seems to be the, the goal. How well do I love? And it's a love with agape love, purposeful love, willful intention love. So we will be certain you are his child. In 29 and 3 through 1, it says, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given us? That we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. John gives us a fruit and root argument, something that we've talked about a lot. Those who shows the fruit of practicing righteousness have the root of being born again. Right? You see the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, right? You see that in them. You see that they are striving towards. It doesn't, you're not saying that you're seeing someone who is perfect. You're seeing someone who is humble enough to say, I messed up. Forgive me and let me go to the Father and ask for forgiveness. What is the motivation? It is not to earn anything. It is because we know that he is righteous and we desire to be like him. This is God's will for your life. This is what his will, you want to know what God's will for your life is? Is for you to practice righteousness and for you to grow in holiness. That's what he tells us. I know I've said it hundreds and hundreds of times, but how much of our anxiety, depression, suffering, restlessness is caused because we are trying to make God conform to our will and not pursue his revealed will in our lives, which is one stated in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. The thing is, is, is as we live our lives, as we go and make disciples, that is all part of our sanctification. As we go and love one another, as we love our uh, faith family, as we love the world around us, that is part of our sanctification. Every time that we got to take and allow God to cross our will so that we then follow his commands, we are being sanctified a little bit and a little bit and a little bit at a time. If we are born again, the Spirit of God dwells in us, convicting us, comforting us, and leading us into all truth. That's his job. That's what he does. He's a real person. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Therefore, we must walk in the light that is to be righteous. We must keep his commands. That's what it means to be righteous. He's already given this picture of what it means to, to walk in righteousness. He's already unpacked it, John has a little bit for us, right? We must walk in the light. We must keep his commands. We must love the brethren. That, that too is a manifestation, but it's kind of like the negative part as we are called not to love the world. That's kind of like the negative righteousness, right? If we're going to have fellowship with God, we must practice righteousness 
And if we slip and fall, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He's already told us all this. See how he's kind of building his argument? He's already given us who we are. Here are some things that, that you can fall into and some things that you need to know and some things that you need to be practicing. And then he comes to this point is we need to abide in him. We need, need to practice this righteousness. And what is it? He's already given it to us. He's already shown it to us. So what kind of love the Father has uh, forgiven to us? We we should be called children of God. What a love is that? That he's adopted us. That's the kind of love. It's an unconditional love. It's a love that means that it's not about what we do, right? It's about his love for us already. Again, the idea of being his children means that we bear his name, that we are his children means we have his nature. Once I was a slave to sin, but now I'm a child of God. What an amazing truth to grasp and meditate on. What a beautiful balance this brings to my self-awareness. There is no place for either an attitude of weakness or an attitude of arrogance. I am a child. I am loved. It's not what I have done. He didn't pick me because I'm so special or I'm such a mess. He just picked me because he wanted to. Because he loved me. I am who I am by gracious adoption and regeneration. That fosters humility. I am who I am as God's child. That fosters security and certainty. Again, it's because of what he has done and the love he has shown us. It's not about what we do. I mean, we could see this many times not only in our own children, we can see this in, in, in the act of adoption, right? It's not about what the, the child has done. It's about the love of, of people that maybe couldn't have children or, or have plenty of children and just love raising children. It's an unconditional love. It's not about the person that is being adopted. It's the same way with us. It's the same way with us. And, and that should allow us to, to take a, a, a deep breath and say, oh, okay, it's, so I'm not earning this. And, and once we get past of earning it and we believe, okay, I'm saved, it, it's not that, okay, now I'm, now I'm keeping this. No, you're not keeping it either. He has a hold of you because you're his child. He's adopted you. He loves you. He knows that you're going to mess up. He put all this in here for us to read later on. <laughs> He knows that. He still loves you. And he still cares for you. And this is the hope. This is the hope that we are being transformed, that, that one day we will be just like Jesus. And, and we know that Jesus was sinless. So all the, all the things that we get aggravated about and all the things that we stumble and, and do over and over again, we know one day we'll be gone. And what a hope that is to fuel our, our present day life. I am who I am by gracious adoption and regeneration. And that should foster humility. And humility is, is on the pathway to love. And almost in a passing comment here, John says that the world does not understand this relationship. In other words, the world should be looking at us today as believers, as those that profess who we are in Christ, should be looking at us today and say, there's something strange about those folk. You know? That's exactly what the world is. 
They don't understand this relationship. The relationship we have with God, the relationship we have with one another, is because we're living out our adoption. We're living out being children of God. We're living out loving one another. This, this truth that they don't really know us or understand us should not surprise us. After all, um, they didn't know him. That's what he says in, in 3.1. They don't know him. Therefore, it will uh, not know, understand, or appreciate those who know him and are increasingly becoming like him. Jesus said as much. John 15, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So they're not going to understand the relationship. The world did not really understand him 2,000 years ago. Don't be surprised when the world does not really understand us today. It should be expected. It should set our expectations. And that really helps us to do evangelism. And it really helps us to love our neighbor. It really helps us to love that, um, the, the person in our office or the person that we come in contact with that just rubs us the wrong way every single time. We should be able to graciously love them as Christ loved us. So we are confident at his coming. We are certain that you are a child of God. And the last blessing is that you will be conformed to Christ, what we've been talking about over and over again. In verses 2 and 3, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The fact that we are now children of God has been thoroughly established. But John repeats it once again in order to place it in contrast with what he is going to say about the Christian's future hope. The contrast is between known and unknown. What we are now and what we will become. Now we are sons and daughters of God, but one day we will be something even greater. Paul expresses it this way. But as it is written, what no eye has seen or ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. For the moment we live in the period of the not yet, eagerly waiting with confidence as children for what is to come. Therefore, our hope is to share his glory and hope expressed by Paul is we will be like him. One day we will be like him. At Jesus' appearance, these privileges we now enjoy are, are in, they're just partial. Yes, we might. I know that, Joe, if you look over to 20 years of following God, that I am so much different than the Joe back then. I do look like Jesus a little bit more. I, I know that. But in comparison to what it will be one day, there is no comparison. That's, that's the point he's trying to, to bring us to. That's the, the hope that he's trying to, to show us. These privileges are just partial, that we are children of God, that we are living in the light, that we are free from sin. One day they will be fully and completely. Our hope is to see Jesus in his glory. John 17 says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundations of the world. It's Jesus' prayer to his Father that we would see his 
glory. Therefore, our hope is to share his glory, a hope expressed by Paul in Romans 17 through 19. And if children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The process of our glorification already begun here and now reaching completion. John states finally that this transformation will take place because we will see him as he is. Seeing Jesus makes us like Jesus. This is my prayer all the time. This is how I end every service. I want you to see Jesus for who he is. Because seeing Jesus changes us. It changes us from one glory to another. This is the purpose I have in mind whenever I I sit down to open up a a passage with you guys. How, How can I show them all that Jesus has done for them? How can I remind them what Jesus has done? Because we need to be reminded weekly, daily of all that Jesus has done because we are forgetful people. That's seen all through the Old Testament that it's just this reminder, and this is why we do communion. It's a reminder of all that he has done for us. So seeing Jesus makes us like Jesus. It's kind of like the, the idea of a mirror, right? Reflecting back. Paul said it this way, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Although John has told us that seeing Jesus will make us like him, it is also true that uh, the condition for seeing Jesus is that we should be be morally fit to come into his presence. And that's, that's through faith, relying on Christ's righteousness. Not only that, but we are called to, again, walk in a way to abide in him, to become more righteous each and every day, to practice righteousness. That's exactly what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We are to be pure. How do we achieve this? John has told us we abide in Jesus. We follow his commands. We love as he loved us. We confess our sins because he is faithful to forgive, and we walk in hope that we will have confidence in his coming Because we are children of God who one day will see him and be like him. This is our future hope. And I hope that today it will become motivation for your present life. Let's pray. Father, again, I thank you for your word. Lord, that we have this wonderful, joyous hope that if we are born again, if we are your children, that we will live pursuing righteousness. In fact, that's the, what your word is saying, that, that if we are born again, we will pursue righteousness. Or maybe we need to consider that we haven't been born again. This is what your word is showing us. But the fuel and motivation for that is the hope that, that as we pursue righteousness, as we abide in you, that we will have confidence in, in the day of your coming. And that one day we will see you for who you are 
and we will become like you. What a wonderful hope that is. Father, I just pray if anyone is here today or listening online, that, Lord, that they don't know you. Lord, I pray that you would send the Spirit to change their hearts. That they would then desire to turn to you and trust in you and put their faith in you. And leave the things that they are trusting in now behind. And Lord, for us today, I I pray that this hope that that John is promising, that the Word is promising, that God is promising, it will be motivation to live today. It will be motivation to, to love one another. It'll be motivation to see to the end of the suffering that we might be going through right now. It'll be the hope to see to the end of the struggles that we might be having right now. It'll be hope to see to the end of, of maybe a time where others are, are, are causing us heartache. Lord, you have given us this wonderful hope. Lord, I pray that we would just trust in it today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.